you have your Bible there, please turn back with me to Matthew 6, the passage we read a few moments ago. The story goes of uh, two little lads who were at a private school in England. And they'd both been caught doing something by the teacher that they shouldn't have been doing. So they were sent along to wait at the headmaster's study. Now this was in the day, and some of the children here might want to put their hands over their ears. This was in the day when they still used a cane. So they were waiting outside the headmaster's study. And they were in absolute panic. What would they do? So there they were, and they were speaking to each other. And one little lad says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And says, I don't know. I don't know. What will we do? I don't know. He says, no, you go to church, don't you? He says, I do. He says, well, why don't you pray for us? He says, okay. So he sat there thinking, what am I going to pray? He says, well, come on, come on. I hear the headmaster coming. Pray for us. So he says, okay, let's pray. The boy began, for what we are about to receive. <laughs> May the Lord make us truly thankful. (laughs) Have you ever felt like that? On an ordinary day or a difficult day and you just don't know what or how to pray. If you're anything like me, prayer is something that you struggle with. Well, the Lord's Prayer, as it's become known, is recorded for us in two passages in the New Testament, in the Gospels. The first is found in Matthew 6. We read that together this morning. It's within Jesus' broader context of the Sermon on the Mount and his teaching about what the kingdom of God is really like. And the second is a slightly shorter version in Luke chapter 11. We'll turn to that over the weeks as well. And it comes in a response to what Jesus has asked by one of the disciples. One of the disciples turns to Jesus and says, Lord, Teach us to pray. It seems entirely reasonable to believe, I'm sure, that if Jesus was keen to give his followers a a good model to follow and a guide to approaching God in prayer, that he repeated it on many occasions. We've got two examples in the New Testament. I'm sure he repeated it on many other occasions. Like any good teacher, he repeated the things that were important. And so as we begin our study into this pattern for prayer given to us by the Lord himself, what can we learn together? Well, here's the first thing that we learn together. It's our approach to God, our approach to God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has already been speaking to the disciples about the need for what we might call authenticity, the importance of sincerity. And so within our approach to God, the first thing we notice is we've got to be real before God, be real before God. Look at what Jesus has already said. If you've got your Bible open there, look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. Jesus has already said, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Giving to the needy is not something to blow your own trumpet about or act hypocritically. Then verse 5 Jesus then focuses in on prayer itself. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. Those who pray publicly for everyone to, be, to see them, well, they've received their reward already. Don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus says. See, the Lord's desire is that we approach him with absolute sincerity. And in Matthew 6, verse 6, he says that further. Christians, get alone with God. 
Shut out the temptation to perform for the family or your friends or your church folks. To be noticed by those that matter. Shut the door, go into your room and get alone and get real with God. Prayer is a private matter. It's between you and the Lord himself. Now that doesn't rule out praying with other people in public. We're going to see that as this unfolds. But what Jesus is emphasizing here in our approach to God, we're to get alone with him and we're to be ourselves with him. You know, whenever we come before God in prayer, he already knows your heart. He already knows what you're like. He already knows what's burdening you and those things that trouble you. So when he says, come alone and be real, avoid the fanfare of praise from others. Don't pretend to be something that you're not. For God knows. And you know, prayer is not some matter of approaching God using a magic formula of words. I think we've sent out that message over many years that, that prayer is something that you need to have a special sort of prayer speak and you need to use a certain kind of language when you pray. Rather, prayer involves approaching God openly and honestly. You don't need an A plus in theology or an English literature degree to be able to pray effectively to God. He just wants to know what's on your heart. C.H. Spurgeon once said, I love this, this is great. Listen to this, what he said. The most heavenly music played in the place of prayer is in the key of be natural. Be natural. In our approach to God, we don't just need to be real before God, but within this we also need to be ready to talk to God. Be ready to talk to God. In other words, if being real before God in prayer calls us to avoid being mechanical in how we pray, then being ready calls us to avoid just mindless wandering and chattering in our prayer. See, the Lord's Prayer begins by addressing our Father in heaven, first of all. It's followed then by three requests that relate to his glory. The first half of the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's all about God. Then come three personal requests for provision, for forgiveness, and then for protection. In other words, when we step into God's presence in prayer, we must do so with an awareness of who we're actually speaking to. Prayer begins with God. And this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray tells us more about ourselves and our prayers. For this prayer is not just a pattern of prayer, but it's a pattern for life. We're very good at pigeonholing areas of our lives, aren't we? You know, there's the family bit, and then there's the work bit, and then there's the leisure or the relaxation bit. And then there's the God bit. And then we try and fit all these bits together into our 24-7 schedules. So work might be going well. Or that thing that we're involved in in church might be giving us great satisfaction. But then we might hear someone say, but my prayer life isn't so good. How does that add up? Our prayers are almost a mirror image of what's really going on with us. If we pray, when we pray, how we pray reflects the reality of what's really going on in our lives. For prayer and our devotion to God cannot be isolated from the rest, from the sport we play or what we're doing at school or the jobs that we do. It's all together. There's no divide. And that's seen in our approach to God. When I pray, when you pray, what comes first? Is it my great shopping list of priorities? Is it my needs or is it God's work in this world? Do you pray because it's the thing that you do 
another task just to tick off in the day? Or is it because you actually long to speak with God and have an ongoing relationship with him? Is life taken up with ourselves or is life taken up with God? Are our prayers focused on me or are our prayers focused on God? But the beauty of these opening lines in the Lord's Prayer is that they are the perfect remedy for any self-centeredness. The Lord Jesus in his mercy has given us these words as a reminder, not just how to pray, but as a guide to approaching God in prayer. The opening words of the Lord's Prayer strike that perfect balance between the Christian privilege and the person of God. And so Jesus begins with the words, Our Father. Which leads us on to our second point this morning because this speaks of our intimacy with God as Father. Our intimacy with God as Father. The Greek word here for Father is the word pater. But in Aramaic, the language that Jesus would have spoken as opposed to what was written, it was the word that we know well, Abba, Abba. Both words are ordinary words. They're warm words of affection. In fact, the word Abba came in the Aramaic from the way babies babble when they see their father or their mother. Abba, 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 Abba. That's what it comes from. The word used by a Jewish toddler speaking to a mum or a dad. Ba, ba, ba. It's the very word that Jesus used to address his father as well. On numerous occasions throughout the gospel. Try and come to terms with what Jesus is actually saying here for a moment. It's really hard to grasp. He tells us to call upon God with exactly the same name that he calls his father. Jesus invites us to call his father, Jesus' father, our father. To use the same term that Jesus has been using from all of eternity in the perfect relationship in the Godhead. From the opening words in this amazing prayer, it is incumbent upon us to be amazed. How dare we call him father? If nothing else strikes you about the service or the sermon today, remember this, Jesus' own people, his followers, can call the almighty, eternal God our Father. When you say those words, how does it feel? How can I call God Father, Abba? Well, it's because God has adopted us into his family. By his grace, he brings people to himself. At one point, we were helpless without God in this world. And then he intervened in our lives, bringing us into an understanding of who he is and our need of Jesus. He brings us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son that he loves. He carries us from darkness to light, from death to life, from wrath to blessing, from judgment to forgiveness, from the devil's clutches into his loving, tender, all-embracing arms. Truths that led John, another of Jesus' disciples, to write in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And as if we didn't take it in, he goes on to say, and that is what we are. What kind of love does that? What kind of otherworldly devotion brings the offender into the family of the offended one? The sinner into the family of a holy God? 
Well, it's the love and grace of our God. For there's nothing on earth, no comparison this side of heaven that can explain why God loved his people the way he loved us. That can make sense of a holy God, not just pardoning sinners, but lavishing upon them with such wealth of grace and privilege that we cannot and we should never get used to it. We should be almost stunned by the fact again today that we can call God Father. We don't just receive a pardon, but we get privilege after privilege. As children of God, there are many more gifts of grace to unwrap almost every day. But one of the most astounding truths that we share in is that we can call God by that same name as his eternal son. That is the unity with the son that we're joint heirs with Jesus. We share in all that Jesus is. All that he's done as our elder brother becomes ours by right through faith in him. The eternal son was abandoned on the cross by the father so that we might draw near. The eternal Son faced the wrath of God so that we might receive his overflowing pardon. He called out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that we might be accepted? As believers in what Christ has done in our place, we have access into the most holy place in this entire universe, into fellowship and friendship in the family of God and we can dare stand in his presence and call him our father. Rebels can approach God on the same terms as the righteous one, Jesus. We can call God father for he has adopted us into his family. The story goes of a little boy in a Scottish primary school. His name was Davy. And as he grew up, his parents revealed to him one day that he was actually not their own, but he had been adopted. Word of this got out, and children, sadly being children, heard of this and began to make Davy's life quite difficult at school. They'd mock him and ask him, Davy, where's your dad? Who's picking you up from school today, Davy? Is it your ma or your dad? The other kids were merciless. Until one day, Davy had had enough. The taunts were flying in the playground and the canteen and Davy stood up on a chair and shouted at the top of his voice, Hey, you boys, listen up. Yes, my mum and dad adopted me, but you know what that means? They chose me specially. See, your mas and your dads, they just got what they got. (laughs) God, our Father, chose us specially. He knew you and he set his love upon you and he wants you to call him Father. And in the use of the word our, we can't neglect that we're reminded that this isn't just an individual thing. God is the Father to all of us who love his Son and worship him. That faith brings us again into that community of relationship with others that we've been thinking about over these last couple of weeks in Ephesians. For Christ is our Saviour. God is our Father. But what does that mean for us in terms of prayer? Simply this. We're to pray together. The Christian is not an only child. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. Our church building is evidence of that here this morning. Christians often discuss how true Christian love can be shown. And one of the answers to that question is through prayer. 
When we pray to God our Father together, we acknowledge that we are one in heart and spirit before him. We're together in this. Each one is equally amazed at the grace of God and he's adopted each of us into his family. That brings a unity among us. It makes us feel more joined than in any other thing that we do. For when in a group of believers we're praying that God would show us his glory in our community or that salvation would come to those that we know, maybe a family member or a friend, that God would provide for a friend in a time of crisis and together that group says, Amen at the end. What a unity emerges. What power there is. And the rest of the Lord's Prayer concurs with that community call. Give not me this day my daily bread. It's give us this day our daily bread. We're concerned for one another. Forgive us our sins when we're battling or struggling with temptation and sin. We are almost to share that as believers. That's something we don't get our minds right. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're not to condemn the Christian always for those who's battling with temptation. We're to bring them in and pray with them and for them. Careless Christians stop praying together. It often stems from cynicism or sin or self-absorption. Well, what about me? Are they going to pray for my needs? How I feel? What will I say? My specific area of need. That shouldn't bother us in prayer. We come together to pray for us and our. That's the Lord's Prayer. That's what it's about. It's not just me and my. It's us and our. Your father is my father, is his father, is her father. This God is our father. Not praying with other believers is depriving the rest of the family. It's like turning up to your Christmas dinner in a relative's house and you were to bring the turkey. And not only do you forget the turkey, but you don't even turn up. A big part of that family gathering is missing. When God's people don't pray together, something huge is missing. The rest can carry on, but you're missing. The amazing truth is he is our father. What intimacy we are afforded and what a family we've been adopted into. But the opening line in the Lord's Prayer doesn't even stop there. It goes much further. It goes much deeper. For we're to pray our father in heaven. Or in fact, it really should read our father in the heavens. That's what it's really saying. And thirdly this morning, we see a description of God that emphasizes his immensity. His immensity. For our Father God is supremely great. He is in heaven and I am on earth. He is eternal and I am mortal. He is everywhere, omnipresent. I am confined to time and space. He is not just to be thought of as above us physically up there in heaven, but in every other way. He's greater, he's grander. He does not just reside in a different place from us, but on a completely different plane from us. Yes, the heavens relate to the physical dimension of the stars and the galaxies visible to the human eye. But also the aboveness of God is what we're to grasp here. God is beyond us in every way, unlimited by his physical boundaries, for God is spirit. He is divine. We are human. The heavens are not just God's home. It's not just where he sits watching over the universe. The heavens denote the place of authority, the place of power. He's the commander. He's the creator. He holds all things in his hands. And that should humble us, but also strengthen us and enliven our prayers because the balance of this opening line is beautiful. 
our Father in heaven. It's our Father who is the great God over all. It's our Father who is immense and eternal. Our Father is in complete control. My God, our God, our saving, loving, heavenly Father is in charge. And in the last number of years, there's been a real resurgence of people using everything from conscience-altering drugs through to music that speaks of the spiritual or an interest in magic and fairy tales and everything from Narnia to Marvel superheroes to Lost to Middle Earth to Hobbits and Hogwarts. All of those bear witness to the fact that within every human there's a desire, there's a thirst for something spiritual, a connection with something more, with something deeper, with something greater. But as believers, we have this reassurance that the spiritual has actually connected with us. God has entered time and space in Jesus Christ and drawn us into this greater understanding of God's character. This is the God whose love I have experienced in Christ, whose grace has drawn me into his family, whose privileges are mine for the taking. For he is God and he is our Father. For if he has made us great promises, he is the one all-powerful who will make good on those promises because our Father is in heaven. But what does that mean for me? What does that mean for us in prayer? Absolutely everything. Let's face it, human fathers, and I can speak on this because I am one, we can often be selfish to listen, at times too tired to care, We can be too weak at points to change a problem or ease a worry. Am I the only dad who's messed up a homework? Or driven the kids up the wall by checking my phone? Or neglecting to pray about them and their concerns? That's a human father for you. We're weak, we're frail. We let our children down. But by contrast, our Father in heaven is extravagant and generous, even whenever we as his children are in an absolute mess. I wonder, have you ever had the experience when you overhear your kids chatting and one is bemoaning the fact they don't have much pocket money left on holiday to buy the one thing they really want. They've spent all the rest over the holiday on excitable, expendable rubbish along the way, but the one thing they really want and they've got no money in their pockets. And then the older, wiser sibling whispers to the younger one, says with the best financial plan ever. Just ask dad. Just ask him. That's how the Lord's prayer starts. For our elder brother, the Lord Jesus, almost whispers to us in these words, just ask dad. For he has known all that the father is and can do because he's been with him from all eternity. And he's telling us from his own personal experiences through all of life's challenges here on earth himself. Just ask that. Or to put it in its original words, this then is how we should pray. Our Father in heaven. Let's pray.
Gracious God, there are many things that probably consume our minds and our time. And today, what a reassurance it is that we come before you and we can call you our Father in heaven. We do it together. We do it excitedly. We do it reminded of the fact that you're an immense and a great God who sits above us. You are beyond us, but yet you connect with us through all that Jesus has done for us. And so, Father, we pray that whatever lies before us in this week, that you would help us to keep those words in our minds, that we have a wonderful God with depth of riches that we will never get to the bottom of. And your Son says to us, O God, just ask him. Keep asking. Our Father in heaven. Bless these words to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.